Hello, and welcome to Better Betting. Here are your hosts, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill, and the ruler of the replays, Eric Rubin. Hey, and welcome to Better Betting. My name is Eric Rubin, and I'm here with my partner, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill. GQ, how be you? It's okay, Eric. The dog days of summer are upon us. We're actually going to be handicapping Saturday, July 31st. We're going to be uh, handicapping Saratoga's late pick five. But we do have a special guest who uh, we'll be talking to shortly. Yeah, and Jessica Baquette will be on. So there's no me teasing it because everyone who's clicking on this will already see the name. So your tease doesn't really work. But uh, she'll, she'll throw in some opinions at Colonial on Monday as well. So we'll have that covered as well um how's your uh, how was your week week was good i uh am going on the little short vacation but i understand you may be going up to the spa um just a fyi for our listeners if you're loyal to eric's opinions then you don't have to worry about next week but i plan on having an extra special guest. It's going to be my podcast next week. So Katie bar the door. The guest that I have lined up will blow your socks off. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't conform to Eric's opinions. So it's good that Eric <laughs> won't miss out. Hopefully I won't screw up the whole recording uh, uh, of it. And I'll probably talk to our guests and we'll banter back and forth for an hour and a half and I'll screw up and it wasn't recorded. So, but I, I'm actually looking forward to that. And I think I'll still be on the road. So I'm going to have to take my computer on my vacation, but it's worth it for this guest. So there's a tease for you. All right. That one you can tease. I won't say a word and ruin it for you. So excited next week. Yeah. I might be out the next two weeks. So sorry to everyone out there. Probably make you happy. You get to hear more GQ. Uh, and whoever he gets on the show with him, but um, well, the, the, we, uh... the, the hint, the hint is just look at the races for Saturday, August seventh. Just look at oh. all the cards. It involves a track that has a halfway decent uh, um, feature, let's say, all right. and, and, and the track that you have. Not in Eric's nightmares would he even think about looking at races at this track. So that there, that's enough hints. That's that's where we're going for next week. It, I don't want to get our guests upset if he listens. It is my second favorite track in the state, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyway, um, so that'll be next week. But there, there's probably like a seventy percent chance GQ can't figure out the recording. So all this is for nothing. But I have faith. I'm gonna I'm gonna teach him today all the technical stuff and. Uh, hopefully he can uh, he can do it. But yeah, I'll be up in Saratoga for the next, well, not do- continuously for two weeks, but next week I'll be up for three days, actually, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So if you're in Saratoga and you want to reach out, feel free. And then the following week, I'm actually doing a Delaware to Saratoga trip. So I'll be in Delaware, I think, the following Wednesday, and then Saratoga Thursday, Friday of that week. I'm more of a weekday guy at Saratoga than weekend, a little less crowds. 
But looking forward yeah, to some it. Of, some of us have a job during the summer that we need to, to do, so we we have to rely on weekends. Yes. But anyway, our, 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 out our, there, but, our, um, our guest, Jess, Jessica Paquette, eagerly awaits us uh, because her time is valuable. We we only have her for a little bit. So oh, You're trying to rush me through my vacation talk. All right, I get the hints. I'm just a little worried. I, uh, I went back to uh, playing hockey recently, and first game went very well. Uh, I didn't have to move that much. That was good. I even scored a goal which uh, from defense, which, again, it was an A-Rod goal. That's the goal when your, your team's already winning by a lot and you don't need a goal. That's like his home runs when he hits grand slams up 8 nothing. Um, but, yeah, last night did not go as well as far as uh, my body. So I think uh, I did some damage to my foot. And I'm just hoping I can still get around Saratoga next week. <laughs> I'll be on crutches probably. But hopefully I can still go. It's just such so much walking. But uh, I'll figure it out and just sit in the chair the whole time I'm there, probably. Hopefully, I don't have to go to the bathroom too much. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you know what? Speaking of that, I was thinking, you know, you, we're both somewhat have athletic ability. And I'm thinking that maybe sometime in the near future, we can put together some type of challenge. Like, for, for instance, I see that Naira... Andy Surly and Big A, they're 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 going through this putt putt challenge, mini golf challenge. I I look at it this way. I think we could probably do uh like a maybe a one on one basketball or something like that. Uh, I don't want, I don't know bowling whatever 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 you want to do you know and maybe we can do it for charity or do a GoFundMe page for somebody or whatever. You wait till I break my foot to uh, to challenge me to an athletic event. That's nice of you. Sure. But, I uh, mean, I, I, that that's got to be your handicap. I mean, gosh, you're you're taking on a senior citizen. Are you going to feel proud about uh, you know beating a senior or losing to yeah, a it, senior citizen? It would have to be a sport like bowling. I, I couldn't I couldn't live with myself playing basketball against you or something like that. So I'll uh, we'll do like bowling or. Uh, some non-contact sport because I don't want to be responsible. Maybe we could play horse or something like that. All right, that, that we can do. That would like be appropriate, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't play one-on-one because <laughs> I don't know what I would do after 11 nothing in three minutes. Uh, you know, it would be very well, uneventful. You wouldn't get a shot off. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind, it's kind of – here you go. It's kind of like I can talk trash because it's kind of like – Never oh, happened. that that I, I hated that horse. There was no way that horse is going to win and he scratched. So you look like you're a genius because the horse can't win because he's not running. <laughs> exactly. It probably never happened. So you can talk all the trash as could I. All right. So our guest uh, is, you mentioned Jessica Baquette. I might have mentioned as well. And she's currently the paddock analyst and she does the pre-race prattle, I believe they call it, for Colonial Downs in Virginia. Really exciting track, uh, mostly turf racing, although they have a nice dirt course too. Uh, they have uh, big fields, at least so far in last year when they reopened after a long hiatus, big fields. I, I've been to about 40 tracks, 45 tracks. I, I lost count. I have to add them up at some point. But uh, that's one I have not been to that I'm looking forward to going to, I think, next year. I'll probably make the trip down, not this year, especially now. But um, Jessica has a few other tracks also where um, I believe Sam Houston is uh, is one of them that she does some analysis for. She even had to fill in as the race caller, which I actually heard her do that in Boston. And that was her original track. Uh, well, maybe Rockingham, as you talked to her about in the interview, but uh, Suffolk Downs is where I'll remember Jessica from as she was an analyst there for the last several years and 
She's from Massachusetts. I won't, if Jessica's listening, I won't mention the city you were originally from. Uh, we'll keep that between us. <laughs> but she's a Massachusetts native. She does an awesome job. Uh, she adopted an off-the-track thoroughbred, which in my book makes her even more special because that's something amazing, especially someone in the industry doing that. Uh, I have one as well. Uh, I, I just think that's a, a, a great thing. Not everyone can do it, and it's expensive and all that. Uh, not everyone rides like she does, but uh, it, it's an awesome thing if you can do it or at least donate to uh, an aftercare uh, facility. That's some great stuff for people to do if you're involved in this game. So without further ado, I will um, now queue up. GQ sat down with Jessica just before, and here it is, Jessica with GQ, and she'll also go over a few races at Colonial Downs. Okay, thanks a lot, Eric. Uh, special guest, our third female, we have to pick up the pace with the number of female guests, is the lovely Jessica Paquette, who is currently the paddock handicapper at the Colonial Downs meet. Jessica, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. No problem. I know uh, your schedule's tight, so uh, we're not going to play around because there's a few races. Since Colonial runs on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we're going to have Jessica. She has some thoughts on a couple of the stakes races on Monday we'll get to. But as usual, we like to introduce our guests, give our visitors a little background. And uh, so, Jessica, first, first question how did you possibly get involved in the horse racing industry? Well, I was a horse crazy kid. I was that little girl, you know, that weird horse girl growing up that never really grew out of it. And I didn't come from a racing background or a racing family. So I kind of had to find my own way into the industry, which I did through an organization called Kids to the Cup that introduced a bunch of youngsters, like teenagers, to the sport in the early 2000s. And many of us are still working in the industry today. That's cool. And as you had mentioned, Weird Horse Girl, uh, you can find some of Jessica's posts on Twitter, uh, hashtag Weird Horse Girl, and Jessica's on Twitter at Jessica Paquette. And so uh, the cool thing that I see with your post, which horse racing needs a lot, is the interaction on social media. I see you've uh, kind of stepped up your game on Twitter uh, talking about the races and specific uh, horses leading up the races uh, when Colonial runs. Well, that was what I always did at Suffolk Downs as well, too. I think that you know, you're, you're, our job as analysts uh, in the public eye is to give the fans um, something that they can't get from reading the program. I, I want to make my Twitter at JM Paquette a feed that is worth watching for, you know, for horse players, if I can give some paddock insights, but also for fans just looking for a way to get closer and more engaged with the sport. And, and that's a thing. I mean, there's a, in order to get new fans, you know, we need to educate. And I think it's great. Uh, some, some of the things that uh, everybody in horse racing, especially those uh, in the industry can do to help bring in new fans. But speaking of uh, Suffolk Downs, you were a longtime uh, employee with wearing many different hats at Suffolk Downs after you started off at Rockingham Park. Tell us a little bit of history there. 
Well, I got my first job in horse racing at Rockingham Park uh, as a hot walker. And then I was a mutual clerk there, interned in the publicity office with the incredible Lynn Snearson. And from there, I went to Suffolk Downs as an intern and then didn't leave for about 13 years. I was the vice president of marketing uh, by the end of my time there. I was also the TV personality and handicapper for most of the time as well. I had the time of my life in, at those New England racetracks. And, and that's the cool thing. Actually, I was able to get to both Rockingham Park and Suffolk Downs. Unfortunately, probably the majority of the tracks that I've been to have, have since closed. I thought Suffolk Downs was a cool track that, you know, you could get, uh, um, I'm going to screw it up. I know it's one letter. It's either the T or the L. What is it? The T? The T. It's the team. <laughs> I remember uh, my sister living up in the Boston area, first time up there, and she's there like, oh, just get on the T, you know, you can't get lost. And I found my way to Suffolk. There was a stop, right? Right. Uh, I want to say maybe it was the blue line for any uh, Bostonians. Yeah, uh, there was the Suffolk down stop on the blue line. All right. So it was easy to get to. Uh, great history with the, with the mass cap. Um, a lot of nice horses have gone through there. Uh, what's your favorite horse, whether you saw this horse at Suffolk's run or anywhere in your travels? I mean, I have to say, what a trippy, uh, who is my off-the-track <laughs> thoroughbred, who I, saw at, who I saw in his first race at Suffolk Downs and knew I had to have him. Cool. So how did you come about getting him? I harassed his trainer for about four years. So at first he was trained by a local guy from Suffolk Downs, George Sicardo, who campaigned him to a New England championship and did a really nice job with him. And then he brought him to Aqueduct, kind of stepped up to the big leagues, leagues a little bit one winner, and he got claimed away in his second start there by a gentleman named Michael Sessi, who I did not know. So the day Mike claimed him, I found his phone number and called him and said, uh, I want, just so you know, this horse always has a home with me. I want him whenever you're done with him please don't break him. And I, you know, just let me know when you're ready. And for nice. about two years, I continued to call Mike every about once a month and say, just, just reminding you I'm here. And eventually he sent me a text and said, he's yours. Wow. That's an awesome story. So, so what was it about him that you just needed that you knew he, you needed to have him? I will never be able to figure that out. He's not even my type. Like, um, if you know, if, if you put him in a lineup, he would not be the one that I that I would pick. Um, but it's always been him. And he was a really bad acting horse when he was a young horse on the racetrack. His first race, he ran very well. But I that I watched him in the paddock try to flip himself over, kill his groom, throw himself on the ground. Um, and just do every bad thing you can imagine. And I saw, I looked at that and I said, that's the one I want is really an indictment of me. <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, he's certainly happy that uh, he has a home with you and um, th th things uh, I'm sure have calmed down in his attitude. Since. They have not. They absolutely <laughs> have not. He is exactly, he is, he's exactly what he showed me he is. I adore him, but he is, he is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> well, cool. So uh, on on the horse racing industry side, one of the many hats that you wore, you were senior VP of marketing. And let me kind of put you on the spot. You know, horse racing for decades has been struggling with, you know, trying to attract a new fan base, whether it be younger or, or whatever. Um, being in the, mar you know, marketing uh, arena, do you think horse racing in general 
it, you know, there are certain tracks trying to do certain things to attract new fans. You know, I agree. If somebody gave you a magic wand, what would you cook up for horse racing? Well, first off, I think data, I think some of the data should be free. Um, you know, you, we, in a way we kind of, you know, gatekeep the information and make this, this sport, which is a little bit difficult to understand. We make it harder for newcomers to understand. So I think yeah, there needs to be a, uh, some accessible free data for everyone who wants to participate. And we have a little bit of a public perception problem. I mean, there, there's kind of a universal cleaning up that we need to do. Certainly. I'm, and, you know, I always thought that, you know, they, you know, there were times where they tried to kind of, you know, when fantasy sports were, were, were hot, you know, some, some places tried to do, you know, fantasy stables with horses. I always thought you do it with the jockeys and trainers because they're the ones who are there day in and day out. Uh, and that, that was just a pipe dream of mine. But like, like you said, it's kind of difficult with the data. One, it takes a while to really understand what you're looking at. And two, to, you know, I, I actually, I'm a Brisnet guy versus a DRF. I went to the dark side and I actually was going out of town to Saratoga uh, and I wasn't going to have access to a computer. So I went, wound up buying a, a DRF and, like the clerk like rung it up and says, you pay this much for this? Uh, you know, thinking it was a newspaper. So yeah, I, I see where you're coming from, but there, you know, there's a fine line that uh, uh, somehow we need to find a happy medium because obviously DRF is not a charity. They, they, they need to make money for their content, but hopefully. And I'm an old school, like classic DRF past performances sort of gal, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> Good. I, I'm so another thing I think racing needs to do um, that always irritates me uh, as a fan, the sport is the best when it focuses on our athletes, the horses, the jockeys, these are the stars of the sport. Um, this kind of effort to make going to the races like some big glamorous party is, has never appealed to me. Um, I don't want to be where the beautiful people are. I want to be at, I want to be at Rockingham Park by the rail by myself watching horses. I, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, that, that's the thing that, uh, you know, for the Triple Crown, that's all you see advertised is like, oh, you know, dre dressing up to the nines to come out to the track. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you with uh, my people at, at the racetrack being, being right at the rail. So you're, you're an old school a DRF uh, handicapper. How did you go about uh, – teaching yourself or who kind of gave you your first uh, past performance and says, okay, this is, this is how you try to figure out a winner. Well, when I was in high school, uh, the second I got my license, I used to cut class and go to Rockingham park to watch races live or on simulcast. And there was a group of older gentlemen who used to hang out there. And I, they saw, a teenage girl show up in a Catholic schoolgirl uniform because I was coming straight from school and they thought I was probably going to get abducted. So they asked me to, they told me to sit with them and it was hanging out with them um, that they taught me how to handicap. Cool. So uh, your handicapping style over the years, has it evolved or do you have like certain angles that you like to lean on? I think uh, cutting my teeth really at a, at a track like Suffolk Downs with some lower level racing. I ha was very beneficial. Um, 
you know, I've developed certain rules over time, especially in conditional claimers that I really try to stick to. I, I can, uh, uh, you know, understand the, the low level claimers because that that's where I kind of always sh shake my head. You know, I'm born and raised in Maryland, came up through Pimlico and Laurel and, you know, not, not the highest level horses, but I'd rather, you know, try to figure out who's going to win a $5,000 claimer than uh, seeing a grade one uh, event where the horses just run true, you know, just trying to look at read between the lines of that uh, is, is the challenge for me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I can totally understand uh, when you're talking about the horses doing your handicapping. Um, we're, we're talking with Jessica Paquette, the current Colonial Downs uh, on paddock handicapper. And uh, we're going to actually get into some handicapping. Uh, Jessica's been kind enough. Uh, uh, the next live racing day is Monday, August 2nd. And uh, Colonial has three uh stakes races that uh jessica wants to share some of her thoughts and we'll try to chime in with her as well so um before we we get into that i'll ask my partner as i always do eric eric do you have any questions for jessica well i, I have a ton of questions because i was hoping to reminisce a lot about suffolk downs i spoke to jessica before you know a track close to my heart and obviously her heart um I remember one of my final memories, I have a lot of memories there, is uh, Jessica, you balancing on that platform. Did you do all your TV work on that platform when you were talking before the races, or was that just like closing weekend? Oh, no, I was almost always up there. That I never fell off was a miracle. <laughs> I don't know how you did it, because I would not be able to be reading a program or whatever you were looking at an iPad and balance up there, so it was kind of crazy. I do get in heels, too. That added Ooh. a really interesting uh, you know, adventure to it. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, like I said, I would love to ask you a million questions, but I know we're short on time. Can you share maybe like one of your fondest memories that you can share uh, from Suffolk Downs? Uh, it's, you know, the most bittersweet memory, but closing day was as perfect as it could have been. So the first time when it felt like it was closing in 2014, right after we had lost the casino campaign, that felt like a funeral. It was this rainy, horrible day in October. I was broken hearted. It was all so sudden, and I did not enjoy that day. Um, and that we thought that was the end, and I thought that was it. And then somehow we, you know, got a little revival with those boutique weekends for the next, mm -hmm. you know, five years. So in 2019, that last closing day, I was determined to, to, to have it feel like a celebration, a celebration of the history, a celebration of all of the people that have loved that track and you know, all the great horses and horsemen and women that have come through it. And it did. It was, it was sad and awful, but in a, in sort of, and also the track got struck by lightning the day before, which I still find hilarious because I don't know what you believe in, but the racing gods were not happy. Yeah. I was actually up there closing weekend. I actually said hello to you, met you for like two seconds. I'm sure you don't remember. We didn't know each other, but um, yeah, I was up there that Saturday when the rains came in, I was on the second floor and uh, it started raining on the second floor, which is not a good sign. And they canceled the last couple of races. And then uh, Sunday I was there. It was awesome. I was able to get in the paddock because I, um, the group that GQ and I are part of uh, Wasabi Venture Stables had a horse run and the horse actually won via DQ. So we got to go in the winner's circle too. And it was cool. awesome. And 
made oh, some money. Oh, that's great. Made some money that helped me uh, hit. Uh, I think it was just a pick four, or maybe a pick five. I can't remember. So it was a very good weekend. I just remember going up like every year for like four years because this is going to be the last year. This is going to be the last year I wanted to be there. Yeah. So it must have been crazy for you as well. But I'm glad it went out on uh, to me at least, and I think to you, it's such a positive note there. Um, all right. So I have a million questions, but I know we want to get a little handicapping done. So GQ mentioned that on Monday, uh, August 2nd, I can't believe it's August already, uh, there are three stakes races, but there were two or three races you want to talk about. I think maybe only one of them was a stakes, but you had some strong opinions in some other races. So I'll let you uh, take it away here for the next couple minutes. Okay, there are two stakes races for two-year-olds, uh, Virginia Bred Sired or Virginia Certified. And these two races, I actually think, are fascinating. Um, we'll start in the first one. That is the Keswick Stakes. It's for two-year-old fillies. And the pedigree on number one, Determined Truth, for Phil Schoenthal is just so phenomenal. She is a maiden taking on stakes company here, but I thought her debut was good. It looks like she had an educational effort that day. Going to the turf for the first time has the pedigree for it, but the pedigree. She's a half-sibling to several six-figure earners, including grade one winning juvenile perfect alibi. So this horse just has run early up and down in her pedigree. And I've been super impressed with the horses I've seen out of Phil's barn so far this season. There's also a horse Phil has earlier on the card named Determined Star, who is by honor code and out of... Um, a half sister to Giants Causeway. So for a pedigree nerd like me, I am just super excited to see that horse. And then finally, we have the two-year-old stakes race for the boys, uh, which is the eighth race, the Hickory Tree Stakes, five furlongs on the turf. And this is the horse, probably my strongest opinion on the card. Number three, wow, what a summer. He got the win via disqualification last time. And it was one of those controversial Twitter DQs. And I get it. It was it was a chippy one. I don't, I, I you know, I'm not going to, uh, I, I could see it. I could have seen it going either way. I don't know if he necessarily deserved the win by a DQ, but he was the by far the best looking horse I saw all week at Colonial Downs and ran one of the best races I saw all week. There's no, there's no question this horse has some serious talent, and I think he'll only benefit having had that educational effort. He's one I'm really excited to see not only on Monday but kind of what he does the rest of the year. I think he's a legitimate stakes horse. All right, nice. I'm circling on my uh, phone right now so I can uh, keep that horse in mind. That's race eight. Okay. Uh, was, was there a third race or were those the, uh, the two? I mean, those are my, those are my biggest opinions on the day. Um, Monday also has a couple of steeplechase races, and I know those are non-wagering events, but just something worth noting. And it's race 11, so it will be run at like 12.45 before the flat card starts. A horse named Queen's Empire is out of graded stakes winner Crown Queen, which is a half sibling to the champion Royal Delta, you know, Delta Prince and Kozan. So this horse didn't really pan out as a world beater on the flat, but it looks like he's going to be a really nice steeplechase horse. So if you like watching horses jump obstacles, which I really do, uh, tune in to the NSA live stream and be sure to catch it. Maybe it's a good, it's not a uh, wagering race. I think a lot of people in New York are uh, traumatized. I don't know if you saw that race in Saratoga uh, I, yesterday. I saw, I saw horses are unpredictable. They are goofy. Yep. I was no, wondering, it's... I was wondering why the jock who was one to two, well, no, one to two, uh, head by a pole with 50 yards to go was, was using the whip to the horse. Uh, the horse looked like, I don't think so. Get off of my back. I think I think that was a horse who was actually trying to act pretty goofy and he was trying to keep her he was trying to keep her focused oh, okay. um, where he, I think he was trying to say hey pay attention to me not whatever you're trying to be goofy about and 
she had a stronger will than he, though. Yeah, yeah, they <laughs> they, they often do. Well, Jessica, uh, you you from seeing you on the live feeds and talking about horses, especially young horses, you're you obviously are a pet pedigree nerd as 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 we like. You also seem to be much on physical handicapping as well. Uh, expand on that uh, as far as when, whenever you're saying, you know, you, you like how a horse looks in the paddock or whatever. Well, I think, you know, physical, uh, there, you know, physical stature can really determine a lot. There was a race at Colonial uh, earlier in the meet the first week where it was for two-year-olds sprinting and the favorite came out. And I get, this is a horse who probably, you know, wins the war here. I bet in three years, when you look at their records, this horse turns out to be the best of the bunch, but you, mm -hmm. I'm looking at her in the paddock and she's this long legged gangly thing. And there's no way this horse is going five furlongs. She's built to go long. And then there was this tiny compact little ghost sapper filly, short backed, big butt, all the attributes you want for a sprinter. And I, that's where you have to change your opinion a little bit. Right. And I, I am, a few years ago, by accident, I came across this book that was about nothing more than physical handicapping. And prior to that, which was probably 40 years of going to the racetrack, I didn't even, I, I would go make a bet without even seeing the horses on the track. And then after getting to know the, the, the negatives and positive signs that a horse will be, you know, displaying in the paddock and in the post parade, it's like, now I won't make a bet until I, I see that. And and to have someone like yourself on a live feed, you know, give it, giving that added uh, attention to that, to me is huge. Probably the majority of horse players could care less, but believe me, I've saved a lot of money in, in wagers of horses that I thought I liked on paper. Then once I saw them on the track, it changed my mind. Yeah, I mean, you ha you have to be able to kind of think with on your feet and roll with the punches a little bit once you get a good look at them. But they make liars out of you too. There was a horse yesterday, Colonial, that I you know all but said looked terrible in the paddock, and then she wins. I and and that well, and, and then that comes down to maybe that's just how the horse is. You know, you kind of uh, yeah, you want to see them a few times, uh, which right. Is, we, which I, it's something I got very good at because there'd be certain horses that would kind of present maybe not as appealing, but you learned that that was just their normal. Definitely. Well, and Jessica, uh, one more question for me, and then uh, it's on the same light, and then we'll let you go. Um, the For someone who's a novice at that, like I don't really know what I'm looking at. I mean, I've heard you a little in Maggie Wolf and Delphi years, so you know you look for certain things maybe, but – do you have any advice for someone? Because I'm sure a lot of people like myself, uh, a lot of people listening to this show don't really know what to look for. Is there anything like a tip for someone who's not really sure, is never really physically handicapped, like one or two things that they can keep their eye out for that might be useful? I mean, honestly, just keep looking at horses. The more, yeah. the more you see, look for patterns, you know, look at what winners look like. Yeah, pay attention to what a horse looks like before the race make notes and then see how they run. Yeah. And like you, Jessica says, you'll see a pattern. Yeah. Hmm. And, and learn, you know, at a certain point, learn to trust your instinct as well. You just kind of need to keep looking at them. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, GQ. I know she's got to go in a second. You have anything nope. else? No, good? I'm done. Thanks a lot, Jessica. I, uh, the, the one uh, stakes race that you didn't mention on Monday was the Dahas. And I don't know 
if you know this, maybe it's a little nugget you can throw in uh, on Monday. Did you realize the Haas ran at Colonial the race before the greatest uh, comeback since Lazarus Breeders' Cup win? That is uh, that his his two Breeders' Cup wins are two of my all time favorite races. Yep. So I yeah, at first I thought, okay, what does the Haas have to do with Colonial? But he ran in an allowance race, which the racing secretary wrote the race specifically for him to get a race in before that Breeders' Cup. So and so all roads lead to you know lead through Colonial Downs. That's right. <laughs> well, again, thanks a lot, Jessica. Appreciate uh, your time. All the best with you uh, at Colonial. I know you, you, uh, we didn't even touch on the fact of uh, Sam Houston you call home from now and then. You know, I'm looking forward to getting back to Texas this winter. Maybe call some more races. We'll see. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. So thanks, Jessica. Really appreciate it. Gentlemen, thank you. It. I know it's a busy day for you, so really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. You too. Take care. Bye now. So we thank Jessica once again for her time. She flew back to Boston today or to uh, Massachusetts today from Virginia. So it was a busy day. She had another appointment later. Very nice for her to squeeze us in uh, for that 30 minutes. All right. So let's get into Saratoga and the late pick five on Saturday, July 31st. It begins with race seven. And race seven is uh, just over $100,000 first level allowance race. And in this race, there's uh, kind of leaning on some chalk here, I guess. But personally, I just think the eight horse Love and Thunder is is significantly better than some of these. And I really expect that horse to win. My only fear is, of course, at Saratoga, there's not much speed on paper. So maybe some horse, I don't know who, but maybe some horse can just go out and wire the field. I mean, same wah. I don't think the wire the field, but I'm hoping a sprinter stretching out shows some speed. Maybe Rivendell sprinter uh, shows some speed, so you get a little bit of a pace. I don't think Love and Thunder needs much. I just don't think you can get a contender getting an easy lead and then having to run that horse down. It might be tough. But why do I like Love and Thunder? Two to one morning line, the eight horse. I'm not giving out anything uh, too creative here, but came off a, a long layoff after running at Ascot last July. Came back in April here, first level allowance. He was squeezed pretty hard at the start. He really lost uh, a few lengths, probably two lengths, maybe even more. And between the layoff and the tough start, and maybe six furlongs a little short for him, between all those things, and he was closing late. So between all those, I'm like, you know what? That was a pretty good first start in the U.S. He had some trouble. Next start, at the same level, this level, he uh, goes out May 22nd at Belmont. And in that race, I thought he ran really well. First of all, it doesn't even say it, but he brushed the gate. Lost about a length and a half at the start. Now, that's two bad starts in a row, but two, two races ago, it wasn't really his fault. This time, it was kind of did it on his own. So I'm hoping he doesn't get off to an awful start. Um, and then he... Oh, and then the whole close in the stretch. So I love seeing horses where the, the trouble lines are not listed in the PPs, and a lot of people won't notice them. So brush the gate, and then brush about a length and a half. And then as he was uh, closing in the stretch, there was like a hole that he could have gone through and it closed up. Uh, and he probably uh, would have uh, well, either won the race or been very, well, he probably would have won the race, only cost him a nose. And he passed the winner, just passed the wire anyway. So he was flying late. So there's a horse who basically should have won at this level pretty easily last time. 
Uh, third start in the U.S., third start off a layoff, unless you want to count you know, May as a layoff, so it's a new layoff. But uh, Chad Brown, Jose Ortiz, I-, I just think this horse is going to win. I only see one horse giving him some trouble, pot- or her, some trouble potentially, uh, and that would be the six secret time, five to one in the morning line. So if you don't like the eight, maybe you do like the six. Uh, the six was running in some stakes races. Actually, she was running in three-year-old stakes races, uh, or should I say, yeah, last year, three-year-old stake races down in Florida and Pimlico one race. Came back first time as a four-year-old, then in the grade three, the Honey Fox, 66 to one against Got Stormy, Zafel. Horses that are much better than these, probably, and much better than her. I just ignore that race. She got an 85 buyer speed figure. I wouldn't even take that into consideration. In fact, I don't like that because people see that and they're going to be like, oh, the horse maybe isn't that terrible. She had an 85 buyer, but she just got that because she was in the race. She was no threat. Uh, I think she basically saved ground. So I'm ignoring that figure totally too back. Her last race was at this level, but down in Keeneland. And um, I, I thought she ran fairly well. She did save ground, which is a benefit, obviously. But she had no room to run like the whole second turn. So if you're a replay person, you want to watch to check me, check up on me. Really, she was inside on the second turn. And this horses were making the move. She wanted to go. She just could not go. So she had nowhere to go. She was in tight in the stretch. She was like closing on the rail. And yeah, there was a little opening, but she was a little uh, against it. She actually might even brush the rail a little bit. The jockey couldn't get his whip out. Corey Lannery, right? Lannery Lane, they call it the rail there. Uh, he couldn't get his whip out. Uh, or I think I'm not a rider, so I'm not sure, but I don't think he whipped him because on one side he had the rail skimming his horse. On the other side, there was another horse skimming him. So he literally was like stuck there. So I think you can definitely upgrade that despite the safe ground. Uh, Danny Gargan takes over for Arnold Delacour. Gargan's more than capable. He's uh, on a hot streak again. So to me, it's the eight and maybe the six. And I, I don't love anyone else here. I'm not saying no one else can win, but th- those are the two for me and really the eight is the main horse. GQ, how do you see this going? Yeah, I think it was interesting. Uh, it, it's hard to gauge the uh, number 10 horse drawn to race, Grouse Stall. He has only started four others, you know, for coming from across the pond uh, in the U.S. 0 for 4. Uh, you know, I swinging it back to you were you able to find replays from saint cloud france of course that's my thing right ruler of the replay here uh i did i did watch both his uh last two races i wasn't all that impressed the only thing is you don't know who they're running against i mean it's a similar level allowance he had one win so i'm assuming i don't know if they do it the same way like first level allowance or anything like that but i'm assuming he was running against somewhat similar and i could be wrong if someone follows racing there knows better than me Two back. Well, they were both at a mile. My interest is his running style. Yeah, he um he's up on the pace. He dueled, if you will, two back. I'm going the April 28th race, a nine to two shot, and the nine to two shot. He ended up finishing third. He beat him by like a neck, uh, or or or, yeah, about a neck coming in second. So drawn to race at ten, came in second in that race. So was he. Again, they were side by side, but neither one was being pushed, typical of European racing and New York racing now, too. Um, so the, the one to two, I'm trying to read what I wrote. Uh, the horse that won sat just off them. So basically, three speeds held. They were probably the three, three of the favorites, but there was one uh, horse who was a uh, short price who, who could not close. 
And then I have so many notes, it's hard to keep track. Sorry. And then last race, I thought it was a speed-dominated race. It was basically a merry-go-round. It was a slow pace. But he got caught. Uh, she, I keep saying he. So she was second the whole race last race, where she was like tied for first, if you will, the race before. Um, seemed to be no pace in the race. The horse who was leading wired the field. The horse who was third came in second, um, passed this one. This one faded to third a little. And then fourth stayed fourth, fifth stayed fifth. There weren't many horses in the race. So basically it was a uh, what I call merry-go-round. And if it's a merry-go-round, she gets caught. I'm not that interested. And, you know, who knows, stretching out and on. New York racing, I'm sorry, U.S. racing usually be like, oh, you know, it's a little more pace, so maybe she'll be a little further back. Speeding Europe's not the same here. But who knows in New York? She might be close to the lead here. So uh, I wasn't impressed, but, you know, maybe she can do something. It's a lot of unknowns. No, because, I mean, the, the logical horses, they don't have early speed. So I was looking, you know, we got a few main track only who obviously won't be running that have speed. So it, if the 10 is going to show some early lick, but then again, I'm not sure that that's Joel's style, this, this go around at uh, um, Saratoga. I, you know, I was looking at uh, Bill Mott's, uh, the one horse, uh, Revendale, coming off of a bunch of uh, turf sprints from the rail. I would think uh, she's going to take the lead and uh, she's not challenged. She could go all the way. Um, not, not sure who uh, would challenge her. I mean, the, the nine uh, Pecatonica has shown the ability to get on top, but uh, that's a pretty slow uh, fraction. So um, I can see Junior Alvarado trying to take the one horse out early. And uh, I mean, the, the horse pedigree says distance and turf. So going a mile, uh, stretching out should certainly help. So, you know, at 12 to one, that's, that's attractive enough to throw her in my uh, horizontals. Yeah, and I think maybe the four same law who's from the same trainer, Bill Mott, that horse, I mean, on paper should be the speed of the race. I, I don't think the horse is, uh, you know, too great, but I'm thinking should be the speed of the race. And I can't see the Motts dueling each other. So uh, I would think Rivendale would sit a little back, not far off, but sit a little back and, uh, you know, probably get a good trip. I don't like Rivendell that much, but, you know, should get a good trip inside, sitting a little off the pace if, uh, if it shapes up the way I see it. But guessing oh, paces I mean, in New York out, is impossible. I mean, there's 22 flat, 45 and two, being five off of that pace. I mean, naturally, but like you said, they're both Mott horses. It'll be interesting to see if one scratches. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, all right, so when you're betting a race, you know, one of the first things you can look at, and a lot of people do, is do you like the favorite or not? If you don't, it's probably a good race to play, assuming you can formulate an opinion. In this case, I do like the favorite, the eight horse. And I said the only other really horse I like is the six. Uh, the two Invincible Gal is capable, and I love Grand Motion. Her race two back was pretty good in the grade three, soaring softly. Um, she had a three-wide trip the whole race, which in Belmont and the Widener is not a big, big deal, but still it was pretty, uh, pretty impressive race. And then last time, I mean, you can argue she's in tough in a uh, stakes race, but it was a three-year-old stakes race. I know you won't like her because she's going first time versus older. And she was a five-to-two favorite. She was a five-to-two favorite. So, I mean, she's a nice horse, but how amazing was that race? I don't think it was necessarily much tougher than the races 
some of these others are coming out of the allowance races. In fact, I think it's somewhat similar uh, to this race uh, the competition might even be tougher at the top end. So I'm not saying she can't win. It's third off a layoff uh, and she should get an inside trip, but at three to one, I'm going to play against invincible gal. If I do bet the race, I, I probably just bet eight, six straight, assuming the morning line is accurate uh, and, and most likely single the eight in most picks. Cause as you'll see, uh, there's going to be a short price horse who I'm going to lean on. Well, use uh, as a single, which I think a lot of people are. And if you can meet that horse, you're in good shape. Uh, but I'm, I'm eight here and possibly the six. Moving on to race eight, the Alfred G. Vanderbilt. Always like this race. Six furlong sprint on the dirt. And, you know, some years it comes up really strong. Some years it comes up weak this year. Eh, I mean, it's not weak, but it's really not the strongest. In fact, we've talked about it before, and it's nothing new. You see it on social media. But the male sprint division is pretty, pretty weak. Uh, overall, in my opinion. And, you know, often in the past, you see like a horse who would get 105, 110 buyer consistently, and they're just not out there in the sprint division, uh, at least not yet. So maybe some young horses coming up uh, have a chance to do that. So you got uh, a couple of horses who are very well known. You got Mischievous Alex, the two, Forenze Fire, the three, Whitmore, the six horse, as the three main betting interests. David Aragona made the nine, special reserve, coming off two monster buyer figures. Uh, he made him the 92 close four choice, and then everyone else you're getting a price on. So, out of those top three I mentioned, there is one I'm betting, and there's two I'm playing against. So, I'll start with playing against. I'm going to play against the six Whitmore. I may never be allowed in Arkansas again playing against Whitmore. He's a cool horse. Always root for him, unless I bet against him. But I, I just I can't bet Whitmore anymore. I, I and, you know, for the most part, he's still been winning and running second. But this year, first of all, the Breeders' Cup win he had, awesome. He won. That's great. But he had, like, the perfect setup, perfect trip. So I don't think he's going to pull off a 104 buyer again like he did that day. Comes back. He's had three races this year. Yeah, he was off a layoff. He might have needed the first one. But in his first two races, he had those perfect, perfect setups again. I mean, there were huge speed duels. CZ Rocco was able to outclose him and win. And, you know, to me, I, I downgraded those races a little bit. Then he ran in the grade one uh, Churchill Downs, I guess they call it, whatever it is. And he had another good setup. Uh, he was three wide. So you can argue he covered a little more ground than most people, but he had a great setup. He took the lead around the 16th pole, was right up on the lead. And then the other horses started to come back on him. Uh, and, and he coughed up the lead, and if they kept running, he probably would have lost more ground. Now, that was seven furlongs, so if you want to argue he's, you know, at this age, he's a six furlong horse strictly, I can buy it. If you like him, I can buy it. I, I just think, you know, he, he's a horse who's a cool horse. He's awesome to root for. I love the horse, but I'm just done betting him in, in fields like this. And the other horse I'm going to bet against is the three, Forenze Fire, at three to one. This horse who's put up a few big buyers recently uh, in the grade three run happy off a little bit of a layoff. And then uh, two back in the true north, a grade two where he beat Flagstaff. He basically dueled Flagstaff that whole way and Flagstaff was seven to two that day. So it's like, oh, wow, he dueled the horse. Yeah, they both held on. They were probably the two best in the race and, and they probably were. But a 14 to one shot, American Power was third that race and kind of stayed third. No one really made up ground. Perhaps being up front helped him a little bit, and it wasn't this, the, the toughest pace in the world. It was not slow, but it wasn't the toughest pace in the world on a track that was playing fast. Then he goes July 4th, his last race, at John A. Nehru. And I put in 
quotes, dueled mind control. Again, it just wasn't that fast of a duel at all. Mind control outfinished him and won the race. I mean, he's fine. He's always been much better at Belmont than any other track. He's one for seven at Saratoga. Granted, tough competition, but this is a grade one, even if it's not the toughest grade one. So uh, to me, that's another horse that I'm going to play against. I wouldn't be shocked if either win, but um, you know, play all favorites in the sequence. You're not going to make any money. Uh, so especially if you spread, so I'm against them and I'm going to go with mischievous Alex as, uh, as my main horse here. Uh, unfortunately he's the two to one choice. So he's the favorite of the three, but still getting rid of the second, third choice will, will help. Uh, last race in the Met mile, which, you know, it's probably a, I don't want to say it's significantly tougher field than this because it was, if Nick's go was the Nick's go that he's been every other race, but, uh, he, he basically stalks slash dual Nick's go. Nick's go put up monster figures before this race. He put up a monster figure after the race. He'd been training well going into the race, and he kind of pooped the bed in the uh, in the Metropolitan uh, in the in the Met Mile. So I don't know if Nick's go just had an off day, or if Mischievous Alex kind of took some starch out of him by you know dueling him. It didn't seem that fast, but to me, that's a lot longer than uh, Mischievous Alex wants to run these days. So I take that into consideration. Uh, his race before he ran, you know, very well. He put up a 109 buyer. I don't know if he's going to ever repeat that, but to me, he's coming out of a tough race. He, um, he just maybe was a little too far last time. I don't love the other two favorites. I, I just, I've always been high on mischievous Alex, uh, ever since they were starting, you know, along the Derby trail, they realized it was not the place to go. I always said, yeah, once he turns back, he's going to be real good. So I'm going to stick with mischievous Alex. He's a four-year-old still can be improving where I think friends fire and Whitmore I've seen better days. So that's my main horse here. I have one other horse I want to talk about, but GQ, I'll go to you uh, for your opinions on the Vanderbilt. Well, yeah, it, it, no shocker. I, I kind of like Mr. Javits, Alex, just all, all these other horses, they've been running, you know, outside of Whitmore, which you kind of echo your sentiments on, on Whitmore. They're all stepping up to this grade one level, you know, a couple of um, Lexitonian no idea what happened last time, but he's not a miler, but for a price, you might want to use him. I don't know, uh, but at least he's, he's run against the, these type of horses. The horse that I actually might um, throw uh, in there. Uh, Maybe maybe a, just a straight exacta with mis- beating Mr. This Alex is the nine horse special reserve. This horse just looks like you know he he answers the bell no matter where they they run him at ever since he's been claimed by Mike Maker. Uh, he obviously saw something in the horse and the horse has responded. Uh, his only loss was going seven furlongs so. He's in the wheelhouse. Obviously, he's not faced this type of competition, but he uh, gave uh, Flagstaff at Keeneland in that seven furlong race all he could handle. So uh, I, I think I'd have to land on uh, the nine special reserve over uh, the two mischievous Alks as my uh, pick here. Yeah, and I actually, you mentioned Lexitonian briefly. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned him because you like him a little or you just wanted to mention him. But- um, 20 to one morning line. I don't know what happened. Like you said, last time in the Met mile, yeah, it was more than he wanted to go, but he just didn't run. 
his race before that, I liked a lot. That Churchill race, which, again, for a grade one, I thought wasn't that strong, but it's similar to this one with Flagstaff and all those uh, kinds. He was four wide, chasing a pretty hot pace, and uh, if anything, it benefited closers that day, and Whitmore got helped that day, I thought, by the pace. Uh, and Lexitonian actually came back and outfinished Whitmore. So, uh, to me, the last time they ran in, in a sprint, and it was an elongated sprint, I thought Lexitonian ran better than Whitmore. So, you know, it's tough to just ignore a race, but I'm, I'm willing to ignore a race the horses 20 to 1 uh, on Saturday. So, uh, I'm definitely planning on using Lexitonian. Uh, I won't go into the nine, like you said. The, the nine is a horse that interests me too. Just, you know, what does he run against? I know he had that race against Flagstaff, but he had a pretty easy lead that day. But he's run impressively. I mean, you know, he looks good just against weaker. Can he do it against a little better here? But it's not the toughest field, so maybe he can. And, uh, yeah, I'm trying to beat the the three and the uh, six with more in Friends Fire, as I said. So uh, I'm going to keep the two on top pretty much. I'm going to use the one. I'm going to use the nine in, like, vertical bets here. And the other two that I'm going to try and get in there is the five and the seven. I won't talk much about them. I've always been a three-technique fan. I always thought he was going to be a really good, good horse. He hasn't panned out as, as much as I thought. Three back, I singled him at uh, nine to one, which I was very excited about, but he got the perfect setup that day. So I, I don't think he necessarily impressed me that much, but I think his, each of his last two races have actually gotten a little better. He's a four-year-old, and uh, I, I think he's headed in the right direction. And one more step up, he, he could be in the mix here in what I said is not, to me, the toughest field. Maybe people think it is, but I don't think it's the toughest grade one event. And then the seven miles ahead, uh, he, he was much better than it looks last time. He was chasing three wide. Um, the only thing is, similar to the nine, he's coming out of a weaker race, a grade three down in Gulfstream. Not the toughest race, but it, it wasn't like a, a, a nothing race. Diamond Oops is a horse who puts up, you know, 100 buyers sometimes. So uh, on chance it's a nice horse. I want to say it was Sappy Joseph. So I don't think the field was that bad. He Ran three wide. So, you know, the seven's a horse I would contemplate too. So uh, I'll go over the pick five at the end, but as far as vertically, uh, I would put the two on top because I just think he's better than these. And I'd use the one, uh, the five, seven, nine, and some combination underneath and really try and lean on the two, one. So maybe like two with one with five, seven, nine, and then two with five, seven, nine with one, things like that. And hope Lexitonian can get back to his race two back. Any final thoughts on that race? No, let's get to the exciting wide open race nine, the grade two Jim Dandy. Yes, very exciting Jim Dandy. I don't understand. I know people talk about this on Twitter and stuff, so maybe I shouldn't even mention it, but why they run that curling stakes on Friday? It's um three year olds, I think it's a mile and an eighth also. Yes. And it's just like it just splits the the feel for the Jim Dandy. If they didn't have that race, they probably would have got well, maybe they wouldn't have, but they probably would have got eight, ten horses and had a Decent field. None of them probably can, you know, touch the favorite, but, um, you know, it would have been a little better, uh, maybe of a race more exciting, but they have that curling. So, uh, I don't before, need, before, oh, go ahead. Before, since you brought it up, I'll give a plug out to a friend of a friend, my friend, Chris, who goes to Saratoga with me each year. He's good friends with the gentleman who owns Baron, who was running in, uh, the curling on Friday. So he's five to one, third choice. He's a PA bred who has been facing, um, I think, much weaker. This is this is his biggest test of his career. So it'll be interesting to see if Baron can uh, do anything on Friday in the Curlin Stakes. 
All right. And by the time people are listening to this, they might be able to go back and check it out. See how we did. Good luck to your friend's friend. So we don't have to spend like 10 minutes talking about essential quality. Essential quality is probably the best three-year-old you want to argue with Hot Rod Charlie. You know, it's funny. When I watched it live, the Belmont, I hadn't watched a replay of it until I was preparing for this. And I remember watching live saying, wow, Hot Rod Charlie ran the best race. He ran better than essential quality. He was up, you know, with that hot pace duel and stuff like that. Then I watched the replay, and I don't know if I agree with that because I was like sold that that was the case. And they both ran great. Listen, that was the best two performances of a three-year-old this year: essential quality, hot run Charlie in the Belmont Stakes. But hot run Charlie went fast early, but he was alone for the first quarter mile to half mile of the race before um, whoever it was engaged him. I, I can't even remember who it was. Was it Rombauer or someone else engaged him? I can't remember. But maybe it wasn't Rombauer. It was someone else. Uh, Flavian Pratt, whoever he was on, right? Or he was on Hot Run Charlie. All right. Anyway, I was trying to stall so you can look it up, but don't worry about it. Who are, but who are essential, you, essential, are you talking about the Belmont? In the Belmont. Who, uh, who chased and then dueled um, Hot Run Charlie? Our listeners all know, and they're like, hey, idiot, it's this horse. Yeah. I can't remember offhand. Keep talking. Keep talking. Yeah, anyway. So, um, but then I watched the replay. First of all, essential quality went fairly wide. He was like two wide the first turn. He was three to four wide the second turn. And he got up to that pace fairly early in the race, like midway through the race, three quarters of the way in or a mile in at most. He was maybe a length or two at most off the pace, if not closer. And, you know, he, so he made an early move into a hot pace and he had a wide trip. He covered a lot more ground than Hot Rod Charlie. So nothing against Hot Rod Charlie. I'm not taking anything away from him, but essential quality ran perhaps better than I thought. And I thought he ran great. Um, but I'm really revisiting my thoughts on that, that Hot Rod Charlie ran better. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's close. Uh, I might even go with essential quality around the better race now, which I think a lot of people would disagree with me. But after watching it, uh, I really think that might be the case. So that point being, not only did Essential Quality run the best race of any three-year-old by far, uh, he's the best three-year-old out there. And listen, he's going to go in the Travers. Obviously, that's the main goal. He won the Belmont, which was the main goal too. Perhaps you can catch him on a race in between. You know, it's kind of like the uh, you know in football, right? You get a uh, you know you play in the uh, the Patriots, and then uh, you have a game against the uh, the lowly Jets, and then you play the. Uh, you know, the Cowboys, the next game or something, maybe bad examples because they're not great anymore, those teams. But, you know, when you have that, you play a 12-0 and team, you play a 1-11 team, and then you play an 11-1 team, you know, that, that uh, middle better game. Examples, yeah, better examples are, you know, SEC football. You know, Alabama plays Troy, you know. We right. They play Auburn, you know. Right. So perhaps he's, I don't want to say not cranked up or, you know, the Belmont took a lot out of him. So listen, if you want to beat him, go for it. I just see it as fruitless personally. So I'd love to do it, but I just see it as fruitless. And part of the reason is I don't like anyone else in the race. I'm just not a fan of these horses. I actually like Rayburn a little. I just don't think he's nearly good enough. And the only horse that maybe is good enough, in my opinion, is Mass Parade. And Maybe he is, but I don't know. I wasn't that impressed with his uh, Ohio Derby. He ran well, but, you know, the, unless essential quality regresses a lot, no one's beating him here. So I'm not even going to go through the field here because uh, I'm not betting the race other than I'm going to single him. I'm going to treat this like a pick four without him. kind of sucks. But if you do think you could beat him, I mean, I, I'd almost advise you to go all of you if you want other than him uh, because – Anyone who beats them, you're going to get paid if you hit this thing. So, good to you if you uh, if you have someone. Do you have uh, 
Like anyone, well, you think of a chance yeah, here? Just, or anything? Just, just kind of to tell you how lopsided this race is on paper. Uh, for those who subscribe to Brisnet PPs, they have a prime power number. That is some calculation that kind of gives you an idea who, who the top horses are. And typically in, in a race, you know, the horse who has the top prime power number versus the horse who has the second highest may be a couple points. And we're talking, you know, the prime power number is kind of like a, a, a buyer on steroids. It, it, it's in the hundreds. I mean, low hundreds for cheap claimers, you know, 150, 140 for stakes horses. Well, in this particular race, uh, essential quality has a 157.9 prime power. The closest one to him is the two horse uh, mask uh, parade. And he's 17 points lower than essential quality. That's unheard of. I mean, in, in a, a good stakes race, let alone any race, uh, and that just, uh, you know, that, you know, kind of just tells you how overmatched all these horses are. And it would have to take something of a, a Brit, big brown in uh, the Belmont to, uh, <laughs> but that's why they run the race, right? You know, you got, there's no free lunch in horse racing. So, yeah, big brown wasn't winning that race, even if he wasn't uh, in trouble or hurt or whatever. Yeah. So, a little different. Hey, but I digress. But the sad thing was, when I was handicapping that race, I'm like, the car is the only speed in the race, you know, and and that was that was back when people still thought that speed couldn't win a mile and a half race, whereas it's been proven many a times that speed does win. So and and the only reason why I didn't even put a two dollar win bet, because I'm thinking, well, DeSormo is not going to let this horse go out by himself. He he figures Big Brown's good enough. He'll He'll go up and pressing. Well, we all know how that turned out. Yep. So in this race, uh, again, I, I just more power to you. Usually, if there's a big favor, like a one to nine shot, I might not even play the sequence. But I do have some opinions in the other races that uh, in the sequence. So you know, I'll, I'll probably play it and treat it like a pick four and go from there. Um, all right. So let's move on to race ten then. The Bowling Green Grade Two. There's a few words I like in here and a few I really don't think can win. In fact, I only think three, maybe four horses can win this, which I know is crazy because if you look at like the speed figures, they're all very similar. Oh, you, you whittled it down to 50% of the field. Yes. Really <laughs> three horses, so a little less than 3%, but there's a fourth horse I'll, I'll talk about briefly. All right, so who do I like the most? Well, I'm a big Channel Cat fan. You got to be careful this Channel Maker, this Channel Cat. Uh, but the one horse Channel Cat 5 to 1 would be my top pick if I had a top pick. Um, there's a horse who was two back made grade one man of war. I thought he ran a fantastic race. Uh, in that race, he ruled going a mile and three eighths. He had a Freeman duel with field pass. who was six to one. Who's a nice horse himself and field pass faded to the back of the pack. So that was a really impressive race. The man of war. Then he goes into Manhattan, the grade one. We covered that race on the show. And that was where you had a monster race. That was by far the, the best field for a, um, in my opinion, for a male turf race in the States this year. Domestic spending, who is, I don't think there's an argument, he's the best 
male turf horse in America right now. Um, Trebubin, Trebubin, however you say it, who came in second, who is, I'm sure there's a lot of people who think he's the second best. I don't think he's the second best, but he's up there um, as one of the best horses. Gufo, who I think is better than Trebubin, but we'll argue that another day, uh, came in third that day. Uh, Colonel Liam was in the race. If you remember, I love Colonel Liam, and I was against him that day because um, I, I thought he was starting to tail off or just wasn't getting better, and he didn't do anything in that race. So that, that was a monster race, Child Cat came in and ran in and he chased Trebubin who had a pretty easy lead, but you know, set a really fast pace and he tired channel cat. There's no Trebubins. There's no domestic spendings in here. There's no goofos in here. There's no even Colonel Liam's in here. So I, I, I like channel cat. It's, it's, I know it's weird to say, well, he's going from a grade one to a grade two. So it is class relief, but this is like mega class relief. I think more than the typical grade one to grade two. So channel cat would be my pick. The other horse who makes a lot of sense is the favorite, Channel Maker. The question about Channel Maker is, is he ready coming back from Dubai? He went over there. He went to Saudi Arabia, and he ran pretty well, I guess. And then he went to Dubai, and I did not – I have to admit, I did not watch the replay. Now, he ran against Mishrik. So we talk about domestic spending being such a good horse. Mishrik is, is as good as he gets over in Europe. Um, he – Came back one race and then he went uh, second in the uh, race at Ascot last weekend. I forgot the name of the King George or Queen Elizabeth, something like that. Uh, ran second. He's a, a mighty fine horse, but he lost by seven lengths. So, like I said, I didn't watch the race. Maybe I should have. Um, I kind of ran out of time being at the doctor for six hours today on that one. But he makes a lot of sense. Uh, and my feel would be that they go at it because there's not a ton of speed necessarily. Uh, so Channel Cat, Channel Maker, if they go at it, the only other horse that I really see having a shot here, and I think it's a big step down, is Sham Rocket, the eight horse at eight to one. This is a horse I've liked for a while now. Uh, ever since he ran against Venezuelan Hug, back, you got to go back to January for that race. I thought he ran a great race. Venezuelan Hug, ridden by Junior Alvarado that day, hugged the rail and just had a monster race. And that's a nice horse. And I thought he had a better ride than uh, Irad gave to Shamrock. And not that Irad gave a bad ride, but uh, I, I thought Shamrock was great. So I've been following him since then. Uh, and he's just slowly improved. I know the buyers are fluctuating a little. And his last race was was very good. First of all, I know it was a non-graded stakes race. You might be like, oh, now he's stepping up to a grade two. But Gufo was in the race. Gufo is pretty much a grade one horse, even if he hasn't won a grade one. And I'm not sure. He might have, actually. But he's right there. So you're talking about a... a, a excellent horse that he lost by a length and a quarter to is as good as anyone in the country probably so um he was two to three wide that day uh yada 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 what did i write oh there was no pace and he probably wanted the pace so he was close that day because there was no pace and he had to sit close so if he gets a little bit of a pace which maybe he won't it's new york but uh any pace will help and there's no reason why he shouldn't step forward off that race so uh, i definitely like shamrock so i'm i'm one five eight you know i do have the favor in there but one five eight uh, the only other horse I think has a shot in here, I won't talk about him really, is a three break point. I don't like the three break point. I didn't like his last race that much. But at least he might have some upside. I actually watched his races from uh, Chile, and uh, he, he really didn't impress me all that. I mean, listen, he won easily. I don't know who he's beating, but he had good trips each time. So uh, I, I wasn't like crazy impressed with him. And who knows who he's going against there. Uh, but at least there's an upside where every other horse in the race, I won't talk about each one unless you have a specific question, GQ, but the two cross border, the four rock emperor, the six red knight, the seven moon over Miami. I, j I can't see any of those horses winning this race. I, I, I know they're 
close on speed figures, anything can happen, but I just don't see any of them. And some of them are short prices, so I'm happy to go again. So I'm one five eight in this race uh, as my plays. And I can talk at the end about how I would bet the race, but those are the three I'm going to use in a pick five. GQ? Well, yeah, I'm just going to ruin your day um, oh. because the, the, of, of this entire sequence, the horse that I thought was my play at a price was the one Channel Cat for a reason that you didn't even mention. I actually think he's, he's lone speed here. Now, everybody's going to look at Channel Maker and say, oh, no way. Look at Channel Maker, you know, coming back from Dubai. But if you look at his early pace figures and look at those early times on firm track, he, like, kind of inherited the lead to, to me. I think Channel Cat can get the first jump on him on the rail. And since Johnny V showed two races back in the Man of War, to get the lead, he should easily get uh, the lead, and I think we'll be able to walk the cat, not the dog, but walk the cat. Very nice. <laughs> and, and and channel the cat's energy from start to finish. Getting, I mean, the horse has never been off the board at this distance. That's got got that going for him, and I just think that. Um, that's that's the setup this horse is going to need. And since you and I both like him, probably everybody else on the plant likes him, and he'll go off at like seven to two. Unfortunately. So are you saying that he'll have a perfect trip? Yes, a perfect trip. I'm hanging out with you too much. All right. So is, was there anyone so, else so I want to cut you off? Go ahead. I, I only have one more question since you said you, you saw the replays of Breakpoint, the three horse. Mm -hmm. you know, this is Chad's, took a lot of money, you know, first time, you know, but as it's, you know, all Chad's first time in the in the US take take money. He was off a bit slow, so um was it that JC just didn't rush him up or did he show early speed in Chile? No, he just, he got up, I wrote, I have like abbreviations in all my PP, so I write SSS, that means slightly slow start, it wasn't much, uh, okay. kind of on his own, he broke maybe a half a length slow, if it's a half a length or less slow, I usually just write SSS, so I know, alright, you know, maybe it hurt his position and all, but it wasn't anything major, uh, he was too wide the first turn, he mostly saved ground the second turn, a little too wide, so, you know, he had a pretty good trip there, and just couldn't get it done against allowance uh, foes, but maybe he needed the race, and there wasn't much uh, pace in the race, I don't think, either. So, but you know. but what it, my my question was his chili races since he won all of them was it off the pace? Uh he was close to the pace. He stalked a few lengths. Back. Well, actually, one of them he was there was a horse that kind of opened up, so he was a little further back. But uh, okay. um, I I only watched uh, one of them actually. I was only able to find the uh, November first race. He stalked a, a nineteen to one shot who came in sixth in the eleven horse field. Uh, it didn't seem like it was that fast of a pace, just visually and all. Um, and, and in that race, another horse checked really, really bad early and like went from towards the front to like the back and finished third and probably, uh, finished second and probably would have won the race. So he probably wouldn't have won that race, uh, break point, you know, but like I said, if you want to bet on the upside with Chad Brown, I, I don't know, it's possible. I throw that horse in if I feel I have enough prices elsewhere, but, uh, you know, because the horse is a little bit of a price, I'm, I'm thinking about it, but I, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Now here, here's here's you know conspiracy theory or not not just you know kind of 
Um, Joel is on Rock Emperor. Joel's only been on Rock Emperor once for Chad back at Fairgrounds, you know, uh, a, a year and a half ago. Uh, channel maker Manny Franco gets back on. Manny was, you know, the, the regular rider. You think that that's the reason why Manny's got channel maker versus Joel? Um, honestly, I look so little at jockeys that I didn't notice it until you said it. Right, so um, your uneducated well, opinion, what, what would you think on the surface? It's just, a, it's Manny's call. Yeah. I mean, those races were overseas. Manny didn't go overseas right. for whatever reason. Joel had other mounts too. So I'm guessing that he didn't go for this horse, Joel, but he went for, um, I don't know. Did he ride Mystic Guy? I don't even know who he was riding. Um, so maybe he went for, for other horses and, um, Mott's like, all right, well, I'm going to get a jockey I know. So that's my yeah. guess why you didn't ride him back. I guess they didn't win. Plus Manny had him, like you said. So I'm assuming there's a lot of reasons that you mentioned. Yeah, just just yeah, figure no, it's worth mentioning something else to think about. So was there anything else? I just want to talk about how to bet this race or how I would bet this race. Sure. Go ahead. All right. So I mentioned the three horses I basically like channel cat five to one channel maker, five to two and, and Shamrocket eight to one. Now let's just say the morning line is accurate and that's what they go off. So how would I bet it? Well, uh, I mean, even though I think Channel Maker is, is a very good horse, because he's the shortest price, when you like three horses, to me, I'm going to mostly get rid of the short price. So I'm going to try and key on, or you know, I don't know the word I'm looking for, uh, a Channel Cat and Shamrocket Exacta. That's what I'm going to look for, hoping that Channel Maker doesn't do it. Uh, so I'll, I'll do like a 1-8 Xacta box, even if the prices are there, because if the morning line prices are accurate, um, I, I would also, because I'm trying to beat cross border at nine to two, rock emperor, six to one, uh, move over Miami, who I don't see being seven to two, but I hope he is, uh, seven to two. So again, assuming the morning line is accurate, I'm trying to beat those horses. Well, um, you know, I, I would bet triples also, uh, and I mostly put channel cat and I probably put sham rocking in first. So like one eight with, and then under them. I would put obviously those two, but also that's where I would add channel maker and breakpoint probably. So I do like a one eight with um, one three five eight with one three five eight or something like that, or even one eight with one eight with three five. If that makes sense for that third spot, and you can always just leave out channel maker totally because it's a short price and hope that he's not ready back from uh, Dubai. But um, you know, I definitely think he has a big shot here, channel maker. So, but again, when you have three horses, or even if you have two horses, if one's like three to one and one's eight to one. Take a stab, unless you like the three to one almost three times as much, then the, the longer price, you might as well go with it. So um, that's basically how I would approach this race here. And if I was betting like, well, I'm not going to bet pick threes probably because I'm not betting essential quality and pick threes and stuff like that. Um, and I don't think I would bet a late double either just because I'm kind of spreading the last race. I don't have too strong an opinion. So that's how I would kind of handle this race uh, as far as betting wise. All right, you want to move on to the finale? Yeah. All right, race 11. You still want me to start, correct? Yeah. All right. I don't want people to think I'm rude again. So, unfortunately, when I handicapped this race, and then I saw the morning lines, I'm like, crap, don't tell me I'm going to get favorites here. It's pretty spread out, the betting, and the morning line was probably not that easy. I don't have too many strong opinions in this race, other than there is, like, zero, in my opinion, early speed on paper. Uh, just going through the field, like, one, two, three, none of them have any speed. I can't imagine anyone close to the lead there. The four is a deep closer. The five might show some speed. I can see 
Um, maybe the six shows a little speed, but neither one's really a speed horse, but I can see them showing speed. Seven, Tiz the Runner is pretty deep closer. Uh, the eight, hieroglyphics, who I thought wasn't going to run, but um, he got, because he was entered today and he was running today, and then they took it off the turf today, maybe even Thursday. So I guess he's going to run Saturday. I don't know, I guess at times he can show speed, but not really. Counter off to the nines, a closer. Yeah, you get the idea. Ten shot prospect usually closer, but showed speed last time, so maybe we'll show speed. Mandate's closer. And Patriot Drive is more of a closer than anything else. So, yeah, not, not much early pace in this race. So, if you can guess who's going to go to the lead, you have a very good chance of hitting this race because whoever goes can probably wire the field since it's a relatively even race when you look at it. It's not like, you know, some words are that much better than others. But... I'm going to start this race by mentioning a race that we covered last time, and that was the race that Outrageous Bet won. So if you look at the four, Acker, um, he comes out of that race, as does the nine, Counteroffer, and the 11, Mandate, those three out of that race. When we covered that race, it was the last race of the day, whatever it was a few weeks ago, and I remember, I think you had a similar opinion, all these horses are terrible for this level. It was like so hard to find someone. And then you had the favorite. I forget who it was, who I didn't even like, but had a chance. It was a three-horse, I think. Scratch out of the race. Another horse that was a relatively short price scratch. So it was not only a weak field. You had some of the main contenders scratch. I think that was a really, really weak race. And it was a race that set up for closers. So having said that, I know they're long shots, but man, uh, Acker, I want no part of. Um the other horse out of that race, what did I say? The nine horse, again, 15-1, I want no part of because both of those horses were, were back and could have closed into that pace. So in a weak field for the level, they got great setups and did nothing. And that uh, the 11 mandate, who I was hoping would take money, I thought he might have him like 6-1 to one morning line, something like that, 8-1 to one at most. Unfortunately, he's 12-1, to one, so playing against him is really nothing exciting. But I don't want him because even though he closed great in that race, um, he had a great setup and it was a weak field for this level. So I'm hoping more people bet mandate than that because – I thought at least there's one favorite I'm against, but I guess my morning line is much different than, than David's. All right, so having said that, who do I actually like? <laughs> That's a good question. I've always been a fan of Morocco, the three horse down in Cal uh, Florida. I probably single Morocco more than any other horse I've singled in my lifetime. I've probably singled him like on four or five different occasions, and most of the time he's won for me. I don't know if I've actually hit the bet, but he's done his job at least. So I really like that horse. Two back, he ran for 50000 in a race that I thought kind of set up for closers. Um, I thought he ran a decent enough race. He lost by one length to horses that are just better than these. Last race, he was in a tougher race. Now, look at it. He was coming off like 90 and then 85 buyers. So he was coming off of buyer speed figures that are as, are as good or better than anyone in this race. Yet he was seven to one in the race. It was a 62,000 optional claimer, allowance optional claimer, much better race. He had a four wide trip the whole way. How's he going to beat significantly better horses going four wide the whole way? It's almost impossible. Yeah, he quit kind of early, but between the better competition and, you know, we've talked about this before. If I'm playing basketball against like a, you know, a seventh grader, you know, I'm going to be motivated because I'm like, oh, this is like easy and I'm going to end up playing better than I normally would because it's so easy where if I go against a Division One college athlete, after like trying to get by him twice and I can't go anywhere, I'm going to shut down basically and I'm going to look awful. Yet the next day I can go against a, you know, a, a high school kid and I might do okay or maybe not. But um, the point is that I wouldn't worry about the 76 buyer Morocco got last time. Uh, I just think it was against better with a wide trip. So he's definitely the horse I like the most. The 
the problem is there's like zero pace. So who knows what kind of ride he's going to get and all that. But I definitely would put Morocco on top. If he had a little bit of speed, I would single him again. I don't know. And I might single him because I'll talk about the pick five at the end. There, there's really, you know, if you have too much chalk, you can't really spread around. So it's possible I'll single him. The other horse I want to mention was the, um, the 10 horse, sharp prospect. Indoors, who, if he runs close to the pace or on the pace like last time, uh, he's stretching out a little bit. He's got Luis Saez, generally aggressive, unless he's riding Sweet Melania for some reason, took him off the pace. But um, I, I can see maybe that horse going to the lead and not looking back. I don't love the horse. His speed figures are fine. He was running against decent horses last year. In fact, again, if you just look at his buyer speed figures and the odds he was in the next race, you know, they were races that were probably similar to this race. Even one argue they were a little better. I guess you could. It was probably similar to this race. And he held his own. And he won two of them. So he's basically won similar races, had a long layoff, came back and won. Didn't really beat much, I don't think. But, you know, second off a layoff, speeding the race with not much speed. Joe Sharp, unfortunately, he's four to one morning line. I knew he'd probably be short. That would be the other horse I would use. And I'd probably be content even just going 310 here. Um, the eight horse, Hieroglyphics, I wasn't expecting to run. So uh, before we came on the air, I said, uh oh. As we were going over the morning lines, I said, I didn't look at him at all. Let me look. So I did a quick study of him. His choice was actually pretty impressive. He had a little bit of a wide trip. He closed well in a race that didn't necessarily set up for closers. If anything, speed had an advantage, but it was a pretty even race as far as speed or closers. So he would probably be my third pick in this race. And the only other horse I would want to use uh, are horses that could show speed. Like I like the seven, and his mic maker is red hot. Um, but do I want a closer in this race where I like other horses better where I'm already using short prices? Probably not, but he's a horse I could potentially use. So maybe the six shows a little speed, maybe the five. So those are the two I would contemplate. I don't love either one, but again, the five is maker also with probably more speed. So I just got to think about the pace of the race that maybe see scratches. And I'm going to use the three and the 10, and then I'm probably going to determine who do I think is going to get the lead. If I think it's a five, I'll throw him in. If I think it's a six, I'll throw him in. I'm just going to throw in the horse I think will get the lead. So I'm probably going to be three deep here. But the three and 10 are my main horses. And I doubt I would play this race vertically unless I just decide I'm going to load up on the three and bet him to win if he's a good price and uh, you know keep him on top. All right, GQ, sorry I went so long on a race. I don't have a strong opinion, or I guess I do in a, a little bit. But how do you see this one? No, I, I, I'm just going through looking at the, these horses their turf record at this distance and i see a lot of one first which right or wrong i just think don't, don't care to, to to look at horses um who've only managed one win uh going this distance and uh, outside of that i really don't have a strong opinion uh about anybody uh and also this, this is an open 25 claimer and I've always struggled with, uh, you know, where, you know, is it going up and up in class or down in class looking at some of these, the, these others, like for instance, you know, 35, uh, the, the five horse, the last zip last ran at Belmont in a 35,000 beaten claimer, well, obviously beaten claimer is going to be softer um just because it's ten thousand more doesn't mean uh, so to me that's still a jump up a class uh and and same way with you know nine winners of one other than the six bird's eye view coming off of mammoth anyway i basically what i'm saying is i i don't have a strong opinion 
the the weird thing is is the the, the thirty to one four horse Acker has the best uh, lifetime Brisnet, but you know he's running twenty five on the turf. He's far from that form these days. Uh, so put a gun to my head. Uh, you know what? I'll probably just contradict what I just said. I'm I'm looking at the the one horse, Victoria Ken. Uh, has the second best uh that number at this uh distance going significantly down doesn't really bother me when you have an eight-year-old gelding if somebody wants to claim you know claim it i'm sure wayne potts will be happy about that uh so you know i'll i'll use the one vittori kin uh in my pick five you know outside of that um I don't see anything, you know, the, it's interesting argument. It's like, how often do you see a 29% trainer uh, claim a horse and a month later drop them down uh, 15,000, uh, you know, maybe because that's where he belongs? What, what horse is that? Still the one horse you're talking about? Or? No, the two horse, Clear Vision. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, well... When you claim a horse for 40 and you run him next out for 25, I mean, it, it definitely raises questions depending on who you are as a trainer. You know, Linda Rice, that's like a typical move. She'll win all these races, but she'll get her owners, uh, you know, losing millions of dollars because that's how she wins. But uh, I guess she's not coming on the show now. But uh, the horse ran really poor in that race on the claim. So my take on it is that, you know, the horse is, uh, was not a good claim and they're like, let's just salvage something out of it. The other argument is, hey, listen, we spend 40. If we can drop them to 25, and you know this, you don't need me telling you this. If we can get a win, you know, collect the purse, maybe someone takes a horse, you know, we make money on the deal. But I don't think anyone's taken the horse uh, after last race. So I could be wrong because he is dropping. But um, yeah, listen, this is a wide open race. I actually want to ask you a question or address something you said. Uh, and I don't want to pick on you because you said you were going to embarrass me with something today and you forgot. So I shouldn't have brought that up. So I'm not trying to embarrass you here, it but you mentioned like. What's that? All right. Anyway, <laughs> I already I already threw it in there, but it went over your head. So oh, I missed it. I'm sorry. Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> um, a lot hey, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll spell it out for you. All right. Uh, when uh, and and I think you're you, you've been guilty of this more than once. You throw out bold statements about something that you can never be proven wrong about. <laughs> wait, <laughs> like wait, saying, wait. Okay, go ahead. Like, like, uh, like saying, there there was no chance in hell the horse you like was going to win that race when you know the horse isn't running because he's scratched. So <laughs> there's no way in hell you can be proven wrong. But it sounds good that you make such a bold statement. Hey, I, in my defense, one statement. First of all, I don't know if I do. I do make those statements sometimes, mostly joking, but not always. Uh, and horses tend to be scratched, but I swear I don't know that in advance. I did say, I probably said for two horses last week and one ran like crap, so I won't mention that one. But I did say Caramel Swirl last week was impossible to lose, barring like an earthquake during the race. So, uh, And she ran an amazing race. So uh, only like six to five or something. It wasn't any price, but I knew that was going to happen. I was upset one of the Ashmeason horses scratched. I would have got a little higher price, but um, yeah. 
So let me, let me ask you my question for you, because sure. you mentioned this. It's a handicap thing. You said something about you look at how they ran at the distance and the horse was one for 10 or whatever you said. So I don't yeah. like horses like that. So if I'm running a horse, I, will, I won't use me as running. I was going to use like a, a race analogy for a human, but let's use a horse race. If I have a horse running against Essential Quality and Hot Rod Charlie 10 races in a row and is 0 for 10 at a mile and an eighth against those horses, and now is running against weak horses because the horse is 0 for 10, oh, I can't use that horse. He's 0 for 10 at the distance. What's your response? Okay, but, but your point, and you've tried to throw this in in past podcasts as well, your analogy sucks because that horse would be like, eight to five morning line. And we're not talking about eight to five morning line horses when I'm saying, okay, here's a horse that's uh, one for 14 at the distance. He, he's 12 to one. So it's not like he's dropping down. He's logical. I'm talking, you know, I'm just talking about horses that, you know, if, if you thought they had a chance or you liked their running line or whatever, they've proven that, they're, you know, they, they don't want to win at this distance or, so, or rarely do. You know what? It might be a half-ass reason to toss a horse, you know, but you know what? In reality, every race, there's only going to be one winner. So if you don't like the majority of the horses, pretty much if you say you can toss these five, I think a halfway decent handicapper will have a pretty good percentage that they're right by saying that. All right. Like, let's use one example, the, just real quick, because I know we're going along. The one, the Tory Cannon. I know you said you like that horse, and, and you, you would use that horse or bet that horse. And I'm not against the one. I, you know, ran against better horses uh, at this level, one for one, three back. So this horse is one for eight at the distance, a couple of thirds, but no seconds. So one for eight with no seconds at the distance. But if you look at the past performances, this horse has only been at this level once, and he's one for one. And he's run against better every other time in his career, you know, maybe like Maiden or something that's not on here early on. But he's running against so much better. If he was running against 16,000 claimers, 25 claimers, in those races, he, he might be four for eight or five for eight. Who knows? So, like, to me, just looking at the this, I don't really care that much about that. And I know a lot of people do. And I'm not saying you're wrong, per se. I could be wrong. But that's why, like, when I hear things like that, another thing, a pet peeve, uh, you hear, like, well, Andy Carling say a lot. Statement. It's not a blanket statement. It, it, it was, it was an, a, an opinion or an observation looking at the field as a whole. You know, I'm, I'm not simply throwing them out because they've only won once out of, you know, you know less than 10% of the time when they run at the distance. And your argument is valid. Yeah, you, get, you have to look at everything. Right. You know, but, you know, just, just for the sake of, of conversation and people who want to listen as far as whether whether or not you agree with my my opinions or not just you know throwing it out there for you know because maybe some people don't even look at that i know plenty of people who you know they see a, a horse that everybody's betting off the board because everybody else looks bad but this horse ha ha hasn't won you know at whether the distance the level or whatever but because he looks like the best of a poor lot, he's going to go off at way, way lower odds than he should. Yeah, and, and just to finish up, the one other I started to say, like Pat Peeve, is 
this horse doesn't like to win. I can't stand that. This horse does. Are there some horses who hang and don't want to pass? Horse? Yeah, I'm sure there are. There are horsemen. You know, I mean, I'm around horses, not as much as uh, the trainers and stuff. So I'm sure there's horses out there that don't like to pass horses or whatever. But think about it. I'm sprinting against Usain Bolt, if that's how you say his name. And I come in second to him, seven sprints in a row. It's not that I don't want to win. It's that he's faster than me. Now I run against you, no offense, and I beat you. Oh, oh my God, he actually can win. No, it's who you're running against. I, I just, I can't stand that. You come in second, you, you might lose to a really good horse or a horse who had a better trip or something like that. So I'm not saying it's never the case, but I just, I can't stand, uh, you know, when people say that. And there are some, and listen, I know you like to key horses second or third because they uh, always come in third. And I'm not saying that's bad because many times that's the case. But I think they come in second or third because they were the second or third best horse in that race. If today they look like the best, I don't think there's a reason why they can't win. Anyway, and being, about the, that? And, being, and being the ruler of the replay, there is a ton of reasons why a horse doesn't win and runs third or second or whatever. So it's just, you know, it, it's just another reason for saying why you like or don't like a horse. Yep. Yeah. And the, the, Last thing, uh, you know, just because you mentioned replays and stuff like that, and, and we're talking about maybe hanging or whatever. One of the things that I watch in the replay that I don't really talk that much about, I do mention occasionally, is I'm not a big gallop out guy. A lot of people like gallop outs. I don't care about gallop outs. And the reason I don't care about them is because some jockeys on some horses are going to like, you know, push their horse in the gallop out a little more than others. Some are going to kind of pull off quicker for whatever reason. I mean, everything's different. It's like after a race, because you, you know, we're running and the race ends because you jog out faster than me. It doesn't mean anything to me. But what I look for is at the wire, what's going on? Did the horse that was closing, did he go by, come in second, but did he go by the horse a couple steps past the wire? Like while they're still going full speed? If that's the case, then maybe it was just either a mistimed ride or just a little unfortunate. He didn't get up in time, but he was good enough to do it. And that I, I kind of give extra kudos to. Or sometimes you see where it's closing like crazy, can't get up, you know, before the wire. And then a couple steps past the wire, he's still not really gaining. He might have got up to like half a length, and then he's still half a length behind as they go five, ten steps past the wire until they get off camera. I'm like, all right, he was probably never going by. I don't care if he goes by in the gallabout now, but he was not actually gaining ground, and he wasn't going to win that race, even if the wire was another 50 feet or 60 feet. So um, th that's just something I looked for in the replay that came to mind when we were talking about that stuff. All right. So I just want to talk about a pick five ticket because we had a short show we thought, and now it's really long. So reviewing a ticket real quickly. Race seven. I'm going to probably single the eight, Love and Thunder. Now he's two to one. I'm singling essential quality at one to five, whatever he's going to be. So if I have two singles of the chalk, now I just think the eight's going to win this race. So I, there's not much I can do. The only other option is, if I single Secret Time instead, the six horse, who I don't like nearly as much, but I think has a shot. But I'm just going to single the chalk here. And that means I cannot spread very much unless I'm just using all long shots. Race eight is a race where a lot of people are going to use the three favorites, maybe even the four favorites. I'm only going to use one of the fav three favorites, Mischievous Alex. Now, if I get Mischievous Alex winning this race, assuming the morning line is accurate, now we're talking about two to one, two to one, and one to five. Is it even worth betting this sequence? I don't know. So it's kind of hard to justify spreading in this race. But I would like to work in some prices if I can. So Lexitonian is a horse I'd like to use. Um, as much as I like to use the nine special reserve, I'm not sure it makes monetary sense. Three technique, I'd like to work in there. 
15 to one in the seven miles had 12 to one. So I'm a little tempted to throw in the one five, seven because they're double digit odds. So I don't mind spending a little extra on them. And then I can press with mischievous Alex Moore. Um, so that's that race. So I'm going to go, you know, mischievous Alex probably, uh, as my main ticket, but I'll have the one, the five and the seven you know, on a 50 cents or a dollar ticket Cause I'm not spreading much. Essential. I'm just singling and moving on, uh, race 10 channel cat, the one, See, this is where ticket structure. Do I use channel maker? Now I have four favorites in a row. What's the point of doing that? Unless I'm not spreading at all. So I, I might just have to leave channel maker out for monetary purposes and use channel cat and shamrocket only. Um, you know, if I had prices only early, then I'd definitely use channel maker. But maybe just take a stand against this favorite and think, you know, maybe coming back from Dubai is not the same. He needs a race. He needs some time. So, you know, I might only go one eight there, you know. Listen, if you're not using such quality or you're using some long shots instead of what I said, I would think the one, five, eight, and possibly the three have a chance here. And that's pretty much it in this race. And then race 11, I said, I, I just, I would love to spread. Everyone's going to spread this race, right? It's good to play against what people do. That's how you get paid when you have an opinion anti everyone else. So to me, race 11 is a big spread race for most people because most people are going to go short in the Vanderbilt, right? They'll use maybe the three or four favorites, a lot of people. Uh, they'll probably single essential quality. I don't know where else they're going to uh, spread too much. This is the race where 80, 90%, if not more, the tickets going to spread. So if you can take a stand, take a stand. I'm going to take mostly a stand on Morocco, I said, you know, 310, and I might throw as much as I want to use a seven, I'm probably not just for the prices. And I might use a five or six, uh, probably the five more than the six, but it could be either one who I think will be the speed of the race unless I come up with someone else. So three, 10, and let's say five for now uh, in that race. So that would be my, uh, my spreadiest, if you will, ticket. And it's not that spready. Uh, it's one by possibly four or five by one by two, maybe three, but probably two uh, and then two or three in the last leg. So it's a pretty cheap ticket, but yeah. I see a lot of tickets where they give out chalk, uh, like Jonathan Kinchin the other day on TV, and I don't want to knock him or anything. I hate knocking people, but he gave out a ticket where he singled the pick five the other day. I think it was on Wednesday this week at Saratoga. First leg, he singled a three to five shot. Second leg, he singled a three to five shot. And then he spread, spread, spread with all the chalk included. It's like, it was a $60 ticket, if I'm not mistaken. It's like, all right, even if you got your longest prices in each race, your three to five, three to five, the longest prices maybe it pays 200 bucks or something like that. And that's like, if you get lucky with the longest prices, so you're betting a ticket that at best you can get two to one, three to one on. If everything goes perfect for you, it just doesn't really make sense. So I, I don't want to give out that kind of ticket here. Uh, so that's why I'm not going to go too deep. That's why I'm probably going to try and beat channel maker. Cause I think he's a little more vulnerable than the other favorites earlier in the card, hoping leaving out forensic fire and leaving out, um, you know, Whitmore helps a little bit and, uh, not spreading in the last race where everyone's spreading. Uh, hopefully that'll help me get paid a little bit and I can have it for a couple dollars rather than just 50 cents. GQ, sorry I rambled. Any final closing thoughts or anything about the pick five? Yeah. Uh, I think what I'll do on Saturday is uh, go to Delaware or Laurel. <laughs> I mean... This is Chalk Fest City here, you know, um, but like, like to your point, it's like, you know, instead of ta taking, you know, you got two, three to fives and, and you're like, okay, let's hope for a price. And then we can, woo, when we hit a pick five that pays $200. I mean, wouldn't it just be worth to take that $60 and, 
bet win on the first three to five and then parlay that on win on the next one? Uh, I wouldn't do that at first. Honestly, if you think the three to five is going to win, means you're, how you're I would saying, bet a by playing that pick five, you're saying they got to win. So you're going to lose 60 bucks on your pick five if they both don't win. Well, I'm not betting 60 bucks on the pick five unless it's like for $2 or something. No, like that. what I'm saying is yeah. you're, you're, you're using Jonathan oh, yeah, yeah. ticket. If that's the case, his ticket, the only way I would do that, I wouldn't do what you said personally, bet win and then parlay win or something like that, win parlay. The only thing I would do is I would say, all right, if I really think that I got to spread in the last three legs, I'm just going to get rid of the favorites in those last three legs. But I think Bell's, uh, whatever the horse is, uh, ring the bet, not ring the bell. Bell, Bell's the the one? Yeah, something like that. The closing sprinter one. Yeah. I don't even know the price. was probably even money. That was one of the horses he spread four or five deep with. I I mean, you either have to toss those horses or you just got to use like a real, you know, Tony Madison says it sometimes where he bets a really chalky ticket, but he uses one horse a race, maybe one race he goes too deep or something like that. Right. And you're just basically betting it straight almost. Uh, it's not for a lot of people, but to me, his ticket, A, I know he has to put it out because he's on TV. A, I wouldn't bet that. B, if he was definitely using those um, favorites in the first leg and he had a better pick five, I just, and I tell people, listen, I did that too. Channel Maker, I love to use Channel Maker, but I can't use favorite, favorite, favorite and Channel Maker. I got to pick one to, to beat if I'm spreading it all. Um, what I would do is I'd say, forget the pick five, maybe forget the races. If I thought the three to five was unbeatable, is there anyone underneath and vertical that I can bet with that three to five? That's a price. And if I like a 10 or 12 to one shot for second or third, then I can attack the race, keep the favorite on top, keep that 10 or 12 to one shot second or third, and maybe use one or two other horses in the other spots with them. That's how I would approach a race. And I forget the pick five personally, unless I felt in the pick five, there's a legitimate, favorite you can be and i think channel maker is definitely beatable because i think channel cat's very good maybe even a better horse and if you were right about the speed which you might have been uh that makes me feel even better if channel cat you think can get the lead and, and wire the field that gives her a better chance all right so we went really wrong show uh anything else uh you want to add though i'll just leave on this since i had mentioned pimico and i like doing the name dropping so i can tag all these people when you post the uh <laughs> thing uh my my horse crush since the first time I laid eyes on this horse at the Timonium's yearling sale years ago, probably six years ago, is running in at Saturday at Pimlico in the $100,000 deputed testimony stakes. None other than Cordmaker. I've had a crush on this horse all the time. He's kind of long in the tooth. He's going up against Harper's first ride, who he's run behind a few times. But uh, shout out to jockey Victor Carrasco, who's always been aboard cord maker, always gives a uh, 110% effort. So I might actually have to go down to Pimlico and uh, see that. So nice. Have a and good all- weekend. I hope, I hope you heal up uh, you. From, from your injury. Um, hopefully uh, as you go to Saratoga next week, it won't be, um, you know, a, a hindrance to your mobility. Uh, and I will hopefully figure out how to do all this so that our dynamite guest that you're going to miss out on, and you'll probably put a gun to your head if you le- if you listen to what um, we talk about, you'll, you'll be like, I got to get a new co-host. 
All right, I can't wait. You built this guest up so much, and I'm sure he's going to be terrific, but like 98% of the people probably never heard of him. They're expecting someone famous. Again, I'm sure he's going to be great. No knock at all. Just no one's going to have heard of him. But anyway, on that note. If they they endure and they listen, they will become a fan. I guarantee. And on that note, we will see you, or I won't see you next week. Hopefully, Jakey will see you next week. Have an enjoyable weekend. Good luck at the races and talk to you soon. Bye-bye.